Tonight's Bible reading comes from Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. If you're looking in your Bibles, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew. If you're in the Bibles um, in the rows in front of you, it's on page 778. Malachi chapter 2, starting from verse 1. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honour me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know I have sent you this warning, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters for the law. Thank you, Hannah. Please do have that part of God's word open as we explore it together. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dig into it together. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. Even at times when it's strange or it's hard-hitting, we thank you. And we pray that in this moment that you will speak uh, through me, despite my weaknesses, despite my strengths, may you speak. And for us in the room or whether we're across the screen, may we have hearts to hear what you have to say. Father, we've come here with all different walks of life, different moments, uh, different situations. Calm our soul. May we hear you and know what it is that you are saying to us and propelling us to be in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with telling you an intriguing story about a man named Timothy Treadwell. Probably top of your list of people that you know. Mr. Timothy, he was an eccentric man, uh, but he was a very talented swimmer and diver. And so in the US, he got a scholarship to go to uh, a good university over there to pursue those things. As he was going about it, uh, he he spiraled, in a sense, out of control. He became an alcoholic uh, and had a significant mental illness and these kinds of things. One of his friends said to him, mate, we've got to get out of here and we've got to go to Alaska. So he decided to go to Alaska. And when he's in Alaska, they go trekking and he comes face to face with a grizzly bear. Now, when he comes face to face with a grizzly bear, he says that in that moment, it's like he found his calling in life. This majestic, glorious, grand, powerful beast had kind of captured him. He left and then came back the next summer. And then for the next 13 years, this guy's documenting grizzly bears uh, and going about uh, trying to engage with them. But the way he went about it was he would go to the streams where they were meant to be. He'd camp right next to the streams. He would bring food and then leave it out. He would basically do all the things you're not meant to do when you engage with bears because he wanted to meet the bears. 
He wanted to engage with the bears. He wanted to um, be up close with them. And the park rangers, they would say to him, Matt, you've got to stop. You can't do that. He would break all the laws. They made a law called the Treadwell Rule just for this guy because he was breaking so many. It didn't stop him, uh, and he kept going. In 2013, he made his 13th visit with his girlfriend, Amy, and they were staying a little bit longer than usual. And they came to face face to face with this enormous grizzly bear, almost 500 kilos. He looked a little bit unusual, and even Timothy was saying he felt a bit uncomfortable in the light of this bear. Anyway, they went back to the airport to get their plane flight home. Long story short, they couldn't get a plane flight. So they went back to the same river where they found that bear to spend the night. They never made it back to the airport the next morning. People went in search of Timothy and his girlfriend. They found the camp ransacked. And without going into too many details, he was not there. He was in many places. When the bear, the bear charged at the people who were uh, out to retrieve him, and they needed to put the bear down, and when they found the bear and they did an autopsy, they found some human remains in the bear. And I realise that's just some pretty intense stuff, but it makes a really powerful point about what's going on in the lives of these people in Malachi's day. This is a picture of the priests and the people not in the fact that they're ripped to shreds, but they've completely lost their fear. They've lost their respect. They've lost their awe of God. Trying to pat him on the head like Timothy's trying to pat those bears. And because of that, leaders especially and the people have been led astray. And we find ourselves in the middle now of the book of Malachi. And if you're familiar, if you've been here the last two weeks, Malachi is a series of six conversations where God is saying, people, return to me. Come back, find life, find fullness, find, be part of the mission that I've sent you on because they've strayed. In the conversation that we were looking at last week, uh, Andrew was taking us through and they were giving blemished sacrifices to the Lord. And he was um, bringing that to attention and showing that they were treating God as he was worthless, he had no honour. If you have a look at verse 6, in verse 7, they're giving the defiled sacrifices. In verse 8, God says, you wouldn't even give this to your governor. No way. Why are you giving them to me? There's an act of, and there's a lack of honour. There's a lack of fear of the Lord, a healthy fear. And God is saying, I won't stand for that. I won't stand for that. Why? Because he loves them. You go back to the beginning, back to verse 2. It says, I have loved you, says the Lord. And because God loves his people and he loves all people and he wants his Israelites to be on a mission to them, he said, like, I'm not going to stand for this rubbish that you're giving me. We want to restore what's going on. We want to restore your relationship with me and your mission uh, to the world. And so tonight, we go on that journey together. We go on that journey of God calling out his priests, calling out the leaders, and calling out the people. Calling them to stop, to stop their unhealthy practices, begin again the good ones, so they can have right relationship with God and call others into that right relationship. Because Israel is to be a people that is uh, to be a blessing to all nations. And so whether you're a Christian in this moment, this is speaking to you, and we'll get to the reason why. And if you're investigating Jesus tonight, then you get to hear how it is that God cares for you through his people. That he doesn't stand 
for contempt. That he doesn't stand for ungodliness. Uh, He is on a mission to restore and redeem uh, creation and his people. And so with that, we begin our journey. And so if you have a look at the passage in verse uh, verse 1, you see it's talking to the priests. But to understand that, we've got to go into the middle of the passage in verse 4. So if you have a look at verse 4, it says, um, You will know I've sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. Now, this covenant of Levi, it's a little bit strange. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might be thinking, I haven't heard of that before, and you'd be right. You haven't. Uh, It isn't common language. But the tribe of Levi was the tribe of priests. God specifically said to them, uh, you will be my priests. And the priests have a particular function. Their function is to be intercessors, to connect the people with God. They're like the intermediary. Like if you are a tenant in a house and you want to contact the owner, you can't go direct to the owner. You've got to go to the real estate agent who connects you with the owner. The priests kind of function that way. They're the intercessory between God and the people. And they have two roles. Their two roles are to teach God's word, to teach the Torah, the instruction, the stories and the law, and to do it correctly. Because the people, they need the priests to do that. It's a bit like if you are a rally car driver and you have that co-pilot next to you who has the map and the instructions, they're saying hard left, left, right, back, hold, you know, all the, I don't know what they say. It's along those lines. They're instructing them on how to live. That's job number one of the priests. The second role is they run the temple and the sacrificial system. That's what we saw in conversation number two, the sacrifices. And the priests do that in order that the people can have right relationship with God again. Their purpose is to maintain right relationship with God. So the people themselves are being then a blessing to others. Now in our day, it's a little bit different. Uh, We don't have priests in the same way. Like, I'm not a priest. Um, The reason is, is because Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus is the one who gives us complete instruction. Jesus is the word of God become flesh. And he also looks after the sacrificial system because he is the perfect sacrifice. He becomes the sacrifice. Uh, And so the priesthood doesn't function in the same way anymore. However, God still has intercessors. God still has people that connect the world with him. Now, the Holy Spirit, that's his role, amongst other things. But he also calls us to be that to be his connection, to be his priest, the intercessors between the world and God, showing people, taking people to the Lord. If you have a, it'll be on the screen, but 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says this, talking to Christians after Jesus has risen from the dead. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into your wonderful light. Right, this is not the role of just a few Christians. This is the role for all Christians. We are all called to be those intercessors, declaring the praise of God, showing it in our words and our actions. So when we first read the passage, we might have the inclination to go, Matt, this passage is for you. This passage is for the leader of the church. It's for Ange, it's for Lachlan. And that is true. It is for us, directly to us, and we have a specific role that you've called us to play. But this passage... Because all Christians are now priests, in some way relate to all of us. It's going to connect differently. 
But this passage is to us in that way. And so with that understanding, we can now hear the warning. And as Hannah read it, you may have appreciated the kind of the weight and the ugh of what that warning was. If you have a look from verse 2, it says, If you do not listen, you do not resolve to honour my name, I will send a curse on you. I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honour me. And then when you get to the end, verse 8 into 9, you've turned away, you've violated the covenant of Levi. And I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people. This is a strong warning to keep the priesthood holy. It's a strong warning. Honour me, uh, or the curse, curses will come. Now this is the sixth time in just four, in just ten verses that this focus on honouring the Lord has come up. This is key, central to what's going on. And they've violated the covenant. The relationship that God has, they're calling, they've spoiled it, it's ruined, uh, it's in need of repair. The beauty is that God is saying, I want to repair that. I want that to come back, to flourish again. And so God says, priest, you need to listen. Listen meaning to hear and obey. You know when someone says to you like, um, I know it with my kids all the time, I say, Aaliyah, Aaliyah, can you turn off the TV? Um, yes, Dad, nothing happens. Aaliyah, were you listening? Yes, Dad, TV's still on. That, Aaliyah, you heard me, but you're not listening. Listening is to hear and obey. And that's what he's calling the priests and therefore us to do. Right belief produces right behavior. And then comes uh, the curse, the danger that is before them. And it's vividly in gruesome uh, and putrid. Verse 3. I rebuke your descendants and I will smear on your faces the dung from the festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. Like, that's a pretty gross image. And they would have found it particularly offensive, like to like, smear the poo from these animal sacrifices. It is almost like, it's not quite as babyish as this, but, all right, priests, you're going to give me rubbish sacrifices that produce this poo? That poo's just gone straight back to you. Right? It's that kind of image. This is the kind of disgrace that you've brought to me. And the, the metaphorical picture that is happening here is this is them publicly being removed from office. Because when they are unclean like that, they cannot be the priests anymore. Everyone would know they have to become clean again. They can no longer function as the priests. So sadly, the priests, they've never listened, they've neither listened to sound instruction uh, nor had the right example in the worship of the Lord. Now, it might seem harsh and unfair, but you have to remember the purpose here. God loves the people and he's intent on their mission. And so if they're priests, the people who are meant to lead them, are not going in that way, he'll remove those people because God is intent on loving his people and in absolutely sold on his mission to the world. Now, when we get to the New Testament we see very similar things. It's not the same kind of vivid language, but you'll see consistently there's this constant call. If there's false teachers in the way that they speak or in the way that they act, don't listen to them. Remove them from the church. Move away from them. God is still in, intent in now 
in our life and day that the people who are teaching, the people involved in influencing others uh, need to be following him correctly. And I'm sure you've seen in our day some of the fallout that has happened from leaders who have not done that, sometimes extremely publicly, and sometimes there's been really horrific consequences that has happened to other individuals because of their action. You know, we're part of the national redress scene because other Christians and leaders have done some horrible things. And in some cases, that judgment comes immediately on those leaders. We don't always know exactly how it works or why God chooses to act in some way or, or not. But God calls his people, he calls his leaders uh, to account. And so there is a great need for godly people and godly leaders, precisely because God cares so deeply. He cares so deeply for his people and he's on about the mission continuing. So for any of us that are involved in the church, any of us that are involved in whatever influence and leadership position that we are, that we are in, uh, God is in the business of ensuring that we are faithful to him and ensure that we are the kind of people that he's calling us to be. Now, of course, throughout all this, none of us are perfect, right? None of us are. We fall on the grace of Jesus. But if we want to be people that are on about the mission of God, we want people to come into his family, we want the renewal to happen, then he calls us to live faithful lives. And there's consequences for when we don't. But then God to Malachi and then uh, subsequent to us, he says, this is the way you're not doing it. But these are the practices that you need to be following. And he gives three specific things. Three specific things of what it looks like for God's people to lead and be and live as his intercessors in the world. And so we'll go through each one. Number one is that God requires his people and leaders to honour and fear God. To honour and fear him. Uh, We saw a bit of that in verse 2. And then in verse 5 where God is talking about what this covenant with Levi looked like, what it looks like to be that kind of person. Uh, he says, I, I gave him uh, a covenant of life and peace, and this called for reverence, and he revered me, and he stood in awe of my name. This means as the people of God, we need to be working for God's glory. When I go about my work, it is a challenge not to be about myself. It's a challenge, but we need to be, I need to constantly be reminding myself to work for God's glory. And all of us need to be doing the same thing. Not for our name, but for God's name. Not for our reputation, but for God's reputation. Not so that we can receive the glory, but so that God can receive the glory. And that happens in every and every layer and type of influence and leadership that we are a part of. But part of honouring the Lord is also fearing the Lord. To fear the Lord. And you see that consistently, especially throughout the Old Testament. Now, whenever we hear fear, we immediately like get pushed back. It's not kind of language that we uh, talk about. And this isn't a sermon on fully on fearing the Lord. But you, you think of that Tim story from the beginning. The majestic, powerful bears, but he had no respect for that powerful, awesome bear. It's that, that's one element of it. But there's also the very positive side of fearing the Lord. Because it's not just you want to run away from God, that he's scary and going to smite you. It's not like that. There's this majestic, awesome power. And I think C.S. Lewis captures it really well in his story that he writes in the Narnia books. If you're familiar, they're a fictional story, but they parallel 
much of the Christian story. And in the Narnia books, God is depicted, Jesus in particular, is depicted as a lion named Aslan. And when Susan is hearing about this Aslan for the first time, she hears, oh, he's a lion. Is he safe? And the beaver says, oh, no, no, no. He's not safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. That's, I think, a helpful picture about God. Not safe, but good. And therefore you can trust him. Therefore you don't need to fear Therefore, it's not like he's going to come out and get you, but he is majestic, he is glorious, he is holy, but he is good. So he uses those things for the good of you, for the good of society. And I think Charles Spurgeon, in connection with that, uh, sums it up quite well. He says, The fear of the Lord is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears away. When the fear of the Lord is first, all other fears, they just pale in existence. We won't fear other humans. We'll be living for the glory of God. We'll be living for who he is. And therefore, we'll love others. We'll love them deeply because that's the kind of God that he is and the kind of leaders that we are called to be. So that's the first element. God requires people and leaders who honor and fear the Lord. And that brings us to the second thing. God requires leaders and people who love God's word who are deep in God's word, who have it soaking themselves in him that way. In chapter, in verse 2, it's talking about the nature of good priests and says, true instruction uh, was in his mouth and nothing was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprighteousness turned many from sin. Then into verse 7, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and the people seek instruction from his mouth. The priest's role, our role as the people of God, is to have God's word at the center of who we are. This is how we know God. This is how we understand part of his character. This is how we know his, his will for our life is when the spirit helps us to understand his word. And so we need to make sure that we're teaching people from the scriptures correctly, wise, with complete counsel, not leading others astray, not leading God's people astray is essential. And that's exactly what the priests of this day were not doing. They were not centering themselves on God and his word. They didn't say they hated it. They just didn't care. They just kind of pushed God's word to the side. It wasn't the center of what they were trying to do and be and instructing as God had called them to do. And when we have a love for God's word, it's infectious to others. Like, I remember when I met uh, Brett Hookham. So he was the previous one to me. And I remember saying to him, like, mate, you have a real love for God's word. And I think part of my love for God's word began watching him. You could just tell the way he spoke about God's word, the way it was just present in his life. I just, it was infectious to me. And we want to be those kind of leaders. I want to be that kind of leader. If you're a youth leader or you're in kids' ministry or you're in any kind of uh, relationship with someone else, we want God's word to be central. Like sometimes we get critiqued for that. You get critiqued for being a lover of God's word. That's just craziness in the church. We should be people who are marked by love for God's word. And so we need to lead by loving God's word. In all aspects and ways that we influence others, 
You yourself, like dig into God's word deeply. I've been reading Psalm 119 through this devotional book that I'm doing at the moment. And by chance, it's going 21 days through 100 and Psalm 19. And the man who wrote that psalm is just continuously pouring over his love for the scriptures. And I've been challenged. I've been corrected and encouraged as well. And also do it with others. Have a go. Being part of this moment is part of how we do it. But then also meet up with others. Continue to engage with what God is saying. We need to lead others by loving God's word. And then thirdly, God requires people and leaders who live God's way. Who live in the, the lifestyle, the actions, uh, the ways of God. At the end of verse 6, uh, God was talking to the people and he was giving uh, this priest Levi as the moral example. And he said, He walked with me in peace and, uprighteous, and uprighteousness. And turned many from sin. He was walking in holiness, walking in the way of God, living the way of Christ, living to God's word, hearing and obeying. And he was turning people from sin, both in his actions, but also in his lifestyle, the way that he lived. He was attracting people. Hey, this is the right, the good way of living for God. And to turn from sin, it means that you're hating it. And friends, we need to help each other to hate sin. And it's so hard to hate sin because usually it's attractive. Usually we want to do it because it's fun or we see others doing it. But it always leads to destruction in some way, shape or form. It always leads to something dangerous to you and dangerous to others. And so friends, help each other to hate sin. One of the first ways you do that is stop celebrating sin. Stop encouraging people who are doing the wrong thing. Stop encouraging your sister, your brother, when they're doing something which is ungodly. I'm seeing it a lot. We need to stop celebrating sin. Put it to death and then repent and find life in Christ. The beauty is that when we sin, we fall into the grace of God. We don't need to fear him. It has been swallowed up in Christ. But he's calling us to live uh, an uprighteous way. And I think in the New Testament, uh, Paul is speaking to Timothy and he has these uh, really helpful words. This is from chapter 4, verse 16. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What we teach and how we live are two sides of the exact same coin. So encourage each other in word and in action. And the Holy Spirit will be working through us to his glory and our good. And all this leads uh, to ensure we point towards Christ. Because Jesus is the one who embodies these things absolutely perfectly. If you look at me to embody these things, I will fail you. I'm sorry. I try hard and the spirit I trust is at work in me. But please put your hope into Jesus first and foremost. He is the one who honors and fears the Lord above all things. He is the one who loves God's word. He embodies God's word and therefore lives it out perfectly. The word of God became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. So put all your leadership, put all your hope in the Lord Jesus. And that means that also he is the perfect and all-loving leader. You can always rely on him. You can always depend on him. You can always look to him. 
Of course, uh, you've appointed me, the Holy Spirit has appointed people like me and Ange to serve you and love you, and we long to care for you. But keep throwing all your hope in the Lord. It's our joy to partner with you. It's your joy to partner with one another. Uh, And this is our role as his people. And then finally, we lead like our Lord. Because yes, there's a way that you imitate me or Ange or another one of um, us here. But as Paul says in his words, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We are people who are following in the way of Jesus. In every aspect, we follow his way. And friends, we want to be a church that is full of people that are following in the Lord. So that when people look at us, they go, man, wow, this is a church that is just, just singing Jesus. They're different in the way that they interact. They're different in the way that they work. They're different in the way that they relate to one another. Why? Because this is something about this Jesus guy they keep talking about. And that's the kind of leaders, that's the kind of people, that's the kind of ministries, that's the kind of church that we want to be, that we're called to be. And that's where the beauty and the goodness lies. And that happens in all of our life. And that happens for some of us who are called uh, to vocationally serve him. I've been alerted that across our churches, in not only Baptist churches, Anglican churches, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, there is a serious lack of people who are vocationally serving the Lord. So people who are in some way um, like giving up their normal jobs uh, in order to, to serve God and his people. Maybe you're part of that. Maybe God wants to call you to, I don't want to say give up your, your secular job because it's a bad thing. It's not. We need people in every sphere of life. But he calls some people to go and serve him and his church in a particular role. It Trust me, it doesn't make me better. I don't think that I'm better. I'm in this role because I know God has called me and I know God needs people like this. Trust me, I know I'm not better. And if you think you're not better than anybody else, then you're a wonderful person for the role. But God is calling people to his church in every sphere of life, whether it's vocationally in the job that you're in, whether it's vocationally in a church, whatever it may be. And so, friends, in this moment or in your next year or in 50 years' time, whatever it may be, as the people of God, we lead by loving the Lord's person, we love his words, and we love his ways. And when we love his person, his words, and his ways, he gets all the glory. We're soaked in him, and then we live it out. And then other people will come into his family. The spirit will be at work. Because at the end of the day, yeah, we labor, we toil. But I love the verses that Paul gives in places like Corinthians and Colossians, where he says, I labor with all the energy Christ gives me. I plant, I water, but God brings the growth. As we're faithful, the results are not up to us. The results are up to God. And so friends, this is the kind of people that we want to be. People and leaders who love the Lord's person, his words and his ways. And as that happens, God gets the glory, we get the joy, and the world and our community is blessed. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful that he came to this world, that he is the word become flesh. Thank you we can throw all our hope, our security, our longings on him. Thank you that he is the perfect leader. And Father, we thank you for whatever sphere of influence you place us in, uh, whatever role that we have. Please help us to be people that honour and fear you, who have a deep love for your word, 
who are living your way. May we all be empowered by your Holy Spirit to your glory and to the blessing of this world. Please help us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.